They are as certain as death and taxes. They dominate our life. They often fluctuate minute by minute, hour by hour, year by year. They are the fabric of our very innermost being. Billions of dollars are spent every year in marketing to lure us in through them. Words describing them show up everywhere in our languages. Even in our sleep, we experience them. They often consume us. They are responsible for some of the most magnificent creations and the most atrocious deeds. They remain with us from the very beginning of life and only leave us when we are gone from this earth. They are our feelings and emotions. From an evolutionary standpoint, our feelings have always played a critical role in our survival. They have guided us towards our life-preserving actions and away from things that threaten our existence. They are vital to sustaining us as a species. They are necessary in understanding much of who we are, whether we are eight or 80. Welcome back. This is Dr. Jim Schrader, and we are to the 47th episode of Living a Whole Christian Life. It's great to be back with you once again as we continue our focus on the psychological dimension. So as you heard in the beginning, we are going to focus today on our emotional world. I think one of the most confusing, the most alluring, the most (laughs) fascinating worlds when it comes to psychology and just how we psychologically uh, live out our lives. So I started that opening paragraph just to give you a sense of this unbelievable, all-consuming aspect of the emotional, the feeling aspect in our lives. It's, it's so huge that it's impossible to even contain it no matter what we say or what we consider. But one of the things we have to really think about when we're going forth with this idea of truly living out a whole Christian life is we have to understand much more about the emotional world, even if it scares us, right? Even if it intimidates us to do this. So what I'm going to start off at the beginning is I'm going to talk about two key types of emotions. The first type is what I would call the lower order emotions. These are things like fear or rage or disgust or euphoria or anxiety or even maybe distrust. They're the kind of experiences, the kind of feelings that register immediately with us and really don't require even a sense of awareness oftentimes or even effort or I should say, intentional effort in the brain. So for example, if I'm walking down, this happened years ago, I was walking on a trail somewhere and I literally leapt out of the side of the trail because my brain registered that there was a snake in front of me. Well, by the time I realized that it wasn't a snake, it was actually just kind of a stick laying across the trail, I had already actually made the movement to get out of the way. So these lower order emotions are really, really important. We're gonna talk about them much more here in this podcast but they register immediately, right? They don't really take any intentional effort. On the flip side, we have what I would call kind of the higher order emotions. And really, I would argue that emotions isn't even the right word or feelings not the right word. It's more of a state of being, a state of kind of where we can get to. And these are the things like, you know, love or trust or admiration or empathy. What's interesting is that while the lower order emotions register almost instantaneously, Research has indicated that these higher order emotions can take upwards of even five to seven seconds to fully register or even more than that. And they're not something necessarily that always comes without some type of intentional effort. Let's think about empathy, for example. I mean, congrats if you're one of those naturally empathetic people out there, but I think most of us actually really have to work at that. 
even when we get older into adulthood, it's not necessarily something that's just perfectly easy for us to do is to try to understand, you know, where another person's coming from or, or have even compassion at times for people. So here's the thing about it. This is really important for us to understand. Again, everything we talk about is God's design. So we need to know what the science says about God's design here. And that is this, that the first you know, type of emotions, those lower order emotions, are designed very much as informants. And again, we'll talk more about this just a little bit later on. But the idea here is that what science has found is that when the lower order emotions like anxiety and fear repeatedly occur, and they almost create like a chronic state of inflammation, right? They never, you never necessarily feel like you go back to a baseline, but you're kind of always a little bit on edge. The unfortunate thing is that over time, these emotions experienced chronically can lead to a lot of negative health outcomes, such as increased cardiovascular risk, increased maladjustment overall. And there's a lot of different kind of negative medical outcomes that can come from not resolving those lower order emotions as they're designed to be resolved. But interestingly enough, when the other states of being, again, the higher order emotions or whatever we're calling them, are repeatedly present, right? And someone continually feels a sense of love or trust or, you know, empathy or admiration or joy or whatever, we find that actually the health outcomes are so much better. And not just from the psychological sense, but from even the medical sense, you know, the physical side and even the social side in general. So it's as if God is saying, again, those first types of emotions should really be informants. They should really be telling us that something's up and we need to think about what we need to do with it. And it's like the second type of emotion or state of being is almost what we would call the sustainers. Those are the ones that we really want to live our lives in search of and those we want to like base what we do around. And yet here's the challenge. I mean, we're, we got to be real about this. And the, it doesn't matter if you're a psychologist like me. It doesn't matter who you are. The reality is that so often when we experience those lower order emotions, what do we want to do with them? Well, the first thing we often want to do is we want to avoid them. We want to just get away from them, right? Nobody likes feeling you know, anxiety, especially in situations where you're around other people and you might be worried that you're embarrassed by the way you react. We just want to get out of it. We want to avoid it. So sometimes like you know, the idea of public speaking, for example, we know, oh gosh, if I get up in front of people, I'm going to have a lot of anxiety and maybe there's a way I can just get out of it, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing is that we often attempt to suppress them altogether or at least reduce their intensity. And that's oftentimes why we take medications or even use alcohol or drugs or other things to reduce that intensity that we don't desire to have. It's no surprise that antidepressants are, you know, 13 plus billion dollar industry annually because we're so often, we don't, we don't like the feeling, you know, of not just being depressed, not just experiencing things intensely in you know, a negative way, but even again, anxiety or whatever else. And the same way, you know, it's interesting to note that neuropsychiatric disorders are worldwide the most common cause of death and disability prematurely. So despite our attempt to avoid things or squelch it altogether or reduce the intensity, we're not getting away from this, right? We really, really have to take and understand our emotional state much better. And I think we really have to look at it as God's design. I mean, when you don't look at it that way, then it's something that you just kind of want to get away from or separate yourself from. And yet, if you start to think about, well, wait a second, there's a real clear intention behind this. 
Like I was designed a particular way. And even if I've experienced early trauma or you've, you know, dealt with a lot of difficult things that may have heightened it, right? And so your system isn't where you want it to be. It still doesn't mean that the system in the first place wasn't designed to be there for a reason. So I think about this a lot. Yes, I am a psychologist, so probably much more than most people do, and maybe more than it's actually healthy. But I wonder the what if here. here here's my what if. What if we actually treated our emotions as first and foremost, one, as informants, right, for the lower order kind, and two, truly as the sustainers for the higher order kind? What if we went out to think, yeah, you know what? That makes sense. God designed, you know, this this system in a particular way. And so I really need to base my life, or I should say at least my psychological life, on the sense that, okay, if I'm feeling those lower order emotions, let's think about what's going on there. And if I really am seeking out things that are good for me, I should be seeking out the sustainers, right? Like let's let's use an example of anxiety. We talked a lot about this early in the podcast as its own particular focus, but you know, coming back to what I originally said is that anxiety is the most common psychological complaint for kids and adults. So we're, again, we're not getting away from this at all. And, you know, there are really adaptive aspects to anxiety. If I always say in my sessions, talking to kids about anxiety, if they have no anxiety about running out on the highway, that's really a problem. They need to have anxiety about, you know, getting around a busy road because it's designed to preserve their livelihood. But many times anxiety gets out of control. And many times if we're listening to what's going on, you know, we haven't really dealt with it as an informant. We've allowed it to kind of exist chronically and it becomes maladaptive. So maybe it's preventing us from even stepping outside the house because we're so afraid of dogs that we're afraid we might see one in the neighborhood or hear one, even though it's really not a risk to us, right? Or again, socially, we avoid people over and over and over, not because we don't want to have friendships or want to be involved with groups, but because we haven't really dealt with that kind of anxiety initially. And so a response has been become rather maladaptive. And so when I talk about this, I, I don't mean to talk about it just, I hope this doesn't sound clinical or, or sterile as if I don't understand this. I mean, I've shared a lot of my experiences throughout this podcast of difficult situations of times I've catastrophized, right? I thought things were going to be the worst or times I've myself have let my anxiety or just emotional state not be where it needs to be. But I think back to that quote from John Wooden. I may have shared this early in the podcast, but you know he said, and John Wooden, that famous UCLA coach who has the all-time number of NCAA Division wins in basketball and lived to the age of 99, he said, you know what? When you're through learning, you're through. And I do think about that from time to time because when it comes to the emotional world, we really have to constantly be learning. And as much as we want to get rid of them, and suppress it and do whatever, if we don't open ourselves to what are my emotions teaching us, and we're going to talk more about this next week about how we really utilize core aspects of Christianity as it relates to virtuous living and other things to teach us about, okay, what, what is, what's my emotional state telling me and what do I need to do here? But this week, we really have to kind of come up with what are some key frames to being open to what my emotions are telling me? And the first, we're going to talk about kind of intellectual framework, kind of a cognitive framework. There's a few keys here that we must really pursue. We must utilize as much as possible. The first is we have to have an acknowledgement that no matter what your current habits are, even if you're 80 years old, right? Even if you've been doing this forever, 
it doesn't necessarily mean it's really the way that we want to do something or even that we should be doing something, right? And I know that's really, really hard to say, well, but I've been doing this for decades. Like, I'm not going to change. But all the way back again, we talked about anxiety before. We talked about that pride word, right? If we say, I'm not going to change, or there's no way I can change when it comes to our emotional state or the way that we handle these these feelings and emotions, then we're kind of stuck. And we've kind of resigned ourselves basically to say, well, God, you've designed me this way, and there's probably a lot I can learn from it, and it probably can help me, but I'm not really going to move from where I'm at. And until we open ourselves to the aspect of learning in this domain, we're really just going to be stuck. And that's not a good place to be. And it's it's really a hard place to be. And, you know, I've, I've seen that in my own life, but I've really definitely seen it in other lives too, where I think, oh man, this is really sad that for decades, you know, a particular individual has been doing something the same way, but been miserable doing that, or hasn't really looked at emotions in a way that could be informants or sustainers, and it's really caused significant challenges. So the first is the acknowledgement that our current habits may not be the way we want or should be doing things. The second is we have to continually seek out forgiveness from other people, but also ourselves. And we talked about forgiveness just a little ways back in the psychological dimension. But again, let's think about this. We can't keep being hard on ourselves over and over and over if it's not productive. In fact, the idea of forgiving ourselves, especially other people too, is that forgiveness should be a gift that's given um, with the recognition that we don't know what we're getting in return. But if we never give the gift, if we're like, why can't I get over this anxiety? Why can't, like, why can't I forgive myself for, you know, things I've done in the past that I'm ashamed of? If you don't grant the gift of forgiveness for yourself and others, then you're just kind of rendering yourself unable to, I guess, see hope in that way, right? Unable to see that there is a hopeful way to improve in this emotional world and you're just going to kind of live in shame. And that's not the way I really believe that God intended us to do, right? Guilt and shame, again, short-term informants, you should be used well, but not long-term sustainers, right? When they when guilt and shame sustain people, the science is very clear that the outcomes are very, very unhealthy. And so if you struggle with chronic guilt, ask yourself, who do I need to forgive? Maybe it's myself. If you struggle with chronic anger, maybe again, it's other people or whatever, but let's consider that for sure. And the third of the cognitive intellectual framework when we're addressing kind of the emotions as God intends is really to embrace the idea that the greatest rewards come from the most difficult struggles. And I know that the psychological dimension is a difficult struggle for all of us at times, right? Because really what we're hitting is we're hitting resistance. Resistance that we are trying to work through to find love and joy on the other side, but we're hitting resistance. And so what do we do often with resistance? We back away from it. Even when we know in our heart, I need to really continue to work through this and not see it as something to deny myself the opportunity to grow. So that's the intellectual framework. The practical side, when we come to this idea of, you know, understanding our emotions is number one, we have to really just, you know, have give ourselves time to learn and reflect and not have to necessarily act so quickly with our emotional state. I think that I've heard people over the years give really good advice when it comes to like sending a letter or email. Of course, letters no longer, right? But emails or texts, which come very quick, is that before you send it, 
sit on it, right? Or before you think about how you feel about something, sit on it for a day, maybe even just an hour. But don't respond so quickly and don't necessarily assume your emotional state now is what your emotional state's going to be even hours or days later. We all find this if we give ourselves time that maybe that rage we felt initially actually gives way to something much more reasonable and much more understandable if we give it time. But if we act immediately or if we decide this is how I feel and I'm not backing away from this based on how I felt in the first 10 seconds or even the first minutes or whatever, then again, we're limiting our growth. The second thing is that we have to be willing to tolerate some level of discomfort to be able to grow here. And this is I, this may be the hardest thing you know that we're asked to do is that no one really wants to tolerate discomfort, certainly not physical discomfort, but especially emotional discomfort. We do not like being in this space where we're not feeling good about maybe a decision or what's kind of been approached to us or just our own kind of internal, I mean, I guess our introspection, right? But there is no way we can improve with our emotional state if we don't tolerate some level of discomfort before we just seek to avoid or suppress it. That is, it's impossible. I think that everything scientifically speaks to this idea that this is God's design and there must be something within that discomfort that relates to the struggle that gets us to a better place. And the third of the practical advice is, is having, we have to be open to the insight that may come, even if it impels us to take a different direction. It kind of, you know, relates to, like I said, intellectually, a sense of, you know, acknowledgement, openness. But this is literally like openness in the sense that once I'm open, I'm acting this way. I'm, I'm The things I'm saying make it clear that I'm open, that I am not shutting off doors and avenues of potential change here. And finally, the fourth is we have to really go about, and we'll talk more about this next week, taking small, small steps, tiniest of actions, tiniest of things to go in the direction that we feel that our emotions are driving us in a good way. We just can't completely avoid things, you know, and there's a, we talk about a gradual exposure in our world. And I've shared that earlier in the podcast, but we gradually, gradually at least have to expose ourselves to some kind of change because complete avoidance is like, well, in essence, like the absence of seeking love. There's no way when we completely avoid something we're supposed to grow from that we're going to find love in the process. So here we are as we come to the end of this podcast here on what are our emotions trying to tell us? Maybe they're actually telling us something really interesting or something really formative or something we've never thought about in our lives. And so as we go forward, I would just ask for all of us to consider that before you go to squelch or reduce or avoid, think, God gave me these emotions for a reason. Now the question is, what am I going to do with them? This is Jim Schrader. Be holy, be whole.